0: Hello and welcome, I am Pooja Sarkar, and you are listening to the podcast Capital Ideas, our latest offering from Forbes India. Our today's guest is someone who started investing in 2001, Vinith Roy, crunched into impact investing in the form of Avishkar Capital. Now, over the last 19 years, Avishkar IntelliCap Group has ended up becoming a face for Indian impact investing and for global funds to invest in it. Some of the investors are the likes of Dutch FMO, Triodos Investment, Shell Foundation, Teachers Insurance among others. Now Avishkar's portfolio is spread across India, Bangladesh, Africa, Indonesia and many other countries and I thought who would be a better person to offer a perspective on the impact of COVID across geographies and how is the fund navigating in these times? What is really happening at Avishkar? Thank you so much, Vineet, for being on our show. Starting at a point, you know, you started Avishkar, and a long back, it's been near, its 19 years. It'll be nearly 20 years. Um, how has it really been the journey?
1: Well, I think it has been quite a remarkable journey. In that sense, uh, when I say remarkable, uh, I would like to say uh, that uh, uh, when I started off, uh, the world did not know. Uh, the term impact investing so i also did not know what i was doing i was trying to uh, use capital to create companies or businesses where people lived uh, which is very different from how businesses operate business identifier. so let's say let's take the example of mumbai uh, people will start a business in mumbai because you have electricity 24 by 7 you have roads you have a talent you have uh, so there is an entire bubbling ecosystem. So if you start here, you will be able to run a business here and you will create jobs here. And that's why people from UP, Bihar, Jharkhand, Orissa or South India or wherever will migrate to Mumbai, right? Uh, I was actually trying to take businesses. I was trying to create business by using money. So I was taking extraordinary risk to create uh, businesses in places from where people were migrating to Mumbai. Saying that this will create jobs and will keep people where they are, uh, doing two, three things. First, uh, it would actually, I mean, today Mumbai is dying just under the pressure of number of people coming. I was not so sympathetic to Mumbai, Was just to tell you, the life that people who come from the villages live is quite bad. Uh, second... Uh, our uh, villages were actually getting, uh, I mean, people were, mig- all the good people were migrating out. So, what was left behind was not really quality. And the third thing was that uh, we were de- seeing a very unequal development, uh, which means if you are in a rural part, unless you migrate out, there's no future. And so, there was a very negative connotation associated with being in a rural world. And uh, ultimately the fourth was the poorest of the poor were living in rural areas while the rich were moving to cities, Uh, which again meant if you are in a village, it was seen negatively. Now, in a country like India, which already had a north-south divide, where south was the richer part and north the poorer part, uh, north and east versus south and west. How do you build a country which is more equal, more educationally focused, more aligned And one of the only things that I could make out is everybody require a job and job can only come if you start a business. So I wanted to use capital to start businesses in these geographies. So I was not trying to make impact. I was trying to create livelihoods and jobs. Also, if I can find good entrepreneurs who can reduce risk and vulnerabilities in the life of poor people, which you can do by increasing their income or actually increasing their education or providing healthcare or providing any other service that will reduce the like, longevity of life, access to uh, uh, healthcare, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. So that's what I was trying to do. Now, over time, as time elapsed, uh, uh, what I was doing was, I was not the only one doing it. Uh, in US, Acumen Fund was launched, which was also doing the same thing. And Bridges Venture in UK was doing it. We were all coming from three different backgrounds. I was a guys who came with $100 acumen fund on the other hand in us started by Jacqueline Novogratz who's already working for rockefeller foundation and started with a significant amount of capital i think she if i'm not wrong received a reasonable amount of support and grant uh, largely because of her hard work and leadership her vision Uh, but because it's a richer economy they were able to secure much more money Uh, and then uh, ronnie cohen in uh, set up Bridges Venture and he was a very large Apex Partners founder in Europe, UK. So he was coming from how do you take venture capital downstream? So we all started in three different uh, continents with very different uh, activities. Acumen, more uh, try, trying to use philanthropy to make impact. Uh, Vinit Rai, trying to crowdsource money to generate livelihoods. And uh, Bridges Ventures trying to get the rich to contribute to the development of the uh, more uh, left out areas of the economy. So very different approaches. By 2007, 2008, uh, there was a name associated with what is called impact investing. Uh, we set up uh, collectively. Some of us came together to set up Global Impact Investor Network, which became our global rallying point. And then GIN or Global Impact Investor Network did a phenomenal job of selling the work that we were doing to the world, which led to uh, the fairly significant acknowledgement of impact investing as a potential solution to an unequal world, making it equal. How do you make an unequal world equal? Uh, So most people use a very simple uh, uh, analogy to say, it. how do you help those who don't know how to fish, uh, fish? How do you teach them how to fish? And that's what we were all trying to do. We were trying to help those who wanted to eat a fish, but did not know how to fish, how to fish, so that they can come out of this. And impact investing, as it started gaining currency, the quantum of capital being dedicated to impact investing uh, kept increasing. And today impact investing is the fastest growing. And I don't have... uh, real facts to back my claim, but uh, based on uh, um, anecdotal reference, it is the fastest growing private equity asset class in the world right now.
0: True, we've seen a lot of uh, funds come about in the impact investing space. I mean, where people say that we will be doing impact, but we will also come back with returns. I think even TPG rice, uh, is on the similar lines, which was created some time back, and now funds are getting bigger in size. Uh, now coming back to you, you started very early in the ecosystem. You've really done the groundwork yourself. And now, uh, I, is the AUM right now a billion dollars? Or can you tell our listeners what is the AUM? And uh, if you can give them, the, you know, the breakup on uh, Arohan versus Avishkar versus Intellicap versus Type three, everything.
1: We, uh, I started off being a pure impact investor, but then at some point of time around 2010, I realized that uh, just providing capital is not sufficient, you have to actually build an entire ecosystem. So that's why IntelliCap. Uh, and then uh, I also realized different entrepreneurs of different kinds have different needs, uh, and uh, So I realized very poor people who want to be entrepreneurs require something like microfinance, because it's a small amount of capital. Uh, The kind of investing I was doing was probably not relevant. Uh, I was initially a big investor in microfinance. And then I actually bought over and built a company called Arohan. So I became an entrepreneur as well in the space of impact. And then I also built a company called Ashwa called Micro Small Medium Enterprise. uh, we manage around $1.1 billion right now, $400 million is uh, on the impact side. So that's the amount that we have invested in impact investing, uh, or in, we manage in impact investing. Then uh, roughly $700 million odd in uh, Arohan, so in microfinance, uh, close to $100 million in micro, small, medium enterprise. And IntelliCap does not manage any assets. But it advises uh, hundreds of millions of dollars of assets, uh, but also build the ecosystem around it. In and we are operating in India, Africa, and Southeast Asia.
0: True. Now coming to the part that you know you uh, you raised capital at the end of 2018. Uh, could you tell uh, listeners if you have raised more capital because you were on the road trying to raise capital for your Africa market and also in the Southeast mm-hmm. Asia market. Uh, what has been happening on the fundraise and what really has been the impact of COVID-19?
1: Yeah, so I think uh, uh, COVID-19 has been quite a fascinating experience in some sense. So the first, let me actually tell you what has happened to where the monies that we had invested, as you would have probably heard. Most of the companies were struggling to deal with the challenges. And I think in the impact space, we see two different kinds of challenges. Uh, we saw challenges, significant challenges in our financial services portfolio, uh, partly because people lost their jobs, so how will they pay their EMIs, etc. Uh, but we also saw our agriculture and other portfolios do very, very well during COVID. Uh, because suddenly, as we call roti kapda makan so the focus went back to bare necessities. And what we do in impact investing is work for people's necessities. So, need-based industries will start, there was a reclassification that government came up with called essential services. And most of our investments classified in essential services, uh, not want. So no movie, no theater, no (laughs) entertainment, et cetera. And there, uh, there's a lot of damage that people saw was happening in the want sector where people were trying to actually do. Now, within the want sector also, e-commerce did very well. So it's not necessary to say that everything in the want sector did not do well, but uh, Uh, For us, our portfolio did well. Uh, We were trying to raise funds in Africa. Uh, We had some commitments, unfortunately, because nobody can travel. There was no diligence. So last 12 months have actually just gone in uh, abeyance. We have actually been waiting for the markets to open up. Unfortunately, uh, to our utter dismay, uh, Europe is going through its second lockdown. Uh, so, even in December, uh, I don't know if you know this, but uh, last week, uh, Holland uh, and uh, many other countries in the continental Europe has gone into a lockdown and uh, UK probably is also heading towards a lockdown, which is not good news, uh, because that actually further pushes away uh, the uh, very, very dark clouds of COVID. Uh, the only silver lining is the positive news around vaccines. So. Hopefully the vaccines comes through, the world opens up. Uh, investors are willing to travel out of their countries to do diligence. Uh, and therefore, I will keep my fingers crossed before I make a big claim. But 2021 might see a significant amount of new capital raise bias at all.
0: OK, and when it comes to your portfolio, we're just going to come to the fact that, you know, uh, I mean, RBI has come. RBI came up and they, you know, allowed moratorium for lenders. Uh, now, coming to the part where you have a microfinance portfolio, how did you see uh, customer behavior?
1: So it's uh, it's, it's quite interesting. Uh, we were not so excited by the moratorium because uh, uh, while we understand the risk it was carrying, but what happens is moratorium is building up. Uh, a lot of pressure point. Uh, So uh, I think, uh, but at the same time, without moratorium, things would have been very difficult if you don't have the capability to collect. Uh, The digitization of microfinance value chain has been uh, quite extraordinary. Uh, Arohan, which is our company, was always a digital microfinance initiative. But it was always very difficult to collect from the customers digitally. Uh, During the COVID times, uh, we have been able to move to a reasonably high digital collection, which is quite exceptional given the fact that we operate in low-income states of UP, Bihar, Jharkhand, Orissa, West Bengal, Northeast, uh, Madhya Pradesh. Uh, So uh, the fact that customers coming from very poor strata is able to use digital channels to actually repay their... uh, uh, repay their loans through EMIs is uh, quite exceptional and that the fact that we are 100% digital distribution and uh, more than 50-60 heading towards 60% digital collection makes us a very different. So investment in technology started paying off during COVID. It does not necessarily mean that uh, we are in the pink of health. Uh, nobody in the financial services sector is. It's a game of survival uh, and we uh, uh, And it's quite unfortunate. Smaller companies will struggle. uh, By Touchwood, we were slightly large, the fifth largest. uh, Because of size and scale, we have been able to deal with the challenges far better than most. Also, because of our unique investment in technology and very supportive investor base, Uh, and of course, the government policy has been fantastic in terms of creation of liquidity. So you can actually thank. I mean, we would love to thank the government as well as Reserve Bank of India for the exceptional. Uh, interventions they made uh, in this period. I think the microfinance sector by nature takes some time for uh, it to turn around, but like it did in demonetization, uh, you will take some hit, whether the hit is 3% of your portfolio or 5% of your portfolio or 6% of your portfolio is a conjecture. Our guess is five to 6% of the portfolio will actually be written off at some point of time. So a significant number of our customers uh, in a business that have, are for last 12 years, uh, our uh, write-off is actually below 0.55. Uh, so the fact that we're going to be 10 times more than that uh, because of COVID tells you how complicated and how devastating uh, the impact has been. But uh, uh, we are on an accelerated provisioning mode. We have to take all these hit right now. Uh, which we can do because of our size and because of large equity base that we have, but it could be quite damaging for other institutions.
0: True. Sure. There's something I wanted to understand because you have operations in Africa, you're there in other uh, Southeast A- uh, Asian countries like Indonesia. Uh, mm-hmm. When you look at COVID, how has really been the impact in you know in all these economies? Because you also play in microfinance in all these economies also. Uh, what really has been the learnings from what are the different things that you saw at this time, because it is a global pandemic. I just wanted you because there are very few people who can bring up examples from so many different economies. Yeah.
1: So we we don't do microfinance in these two places. We have different kinds of companies. Uh, So I'll give you some examples from uh, uh, I think Bangladesh, uh, uh, we had some challenges, for example, we had invested in a fisheries company and the engineers were to come from China and uh, because of travel restrictions, uh, I mean, the project got delayed by 9, 10, 12 months, uh, so the big hit in that sense. Uh, so the companies which don't have the capability, like India, you would actually use local engineers. We just didn't have the capacity there. So, so you have to wait for the countries to open up uh, for the engineers to consent to travel because nobody wants to travel out of their countries and countries to accept. Uh, people coming from other countries to come in. We had the same problem in Indonesia where we were actually help convert uh, cassava. we are converting palm oil production to cassava starch production. And we were helping farmers to grow cassava so that we can actually convert it into starch. And we needed Dutch engineers to come and commission our evaporator and uh, that also became a huge uh, six months, seven months delay. So those kinds of challenges we saw in Africa, uh, interestingly, Southeast Asia and Africa, the economy didn't go through the kind of lockdown you saw in Europe and India. True. Uh, and even in South, um, South America, if you want to actually compare, even in North America, the tail, Mexico, mm-hmm. uh, the economy, did, uh, economy never went through a full lockdown. Uh, interestingly also, uh, and there are many different explanations for why... Uh, India or Southeast Asia did not see the kind of impact of uh, COVID that Europe saw Uh, and the explanation could be average age difference, more youth, young population, BCG shots. There could be, we don't really know what triggered, but I think on hindsight, and again, this is all hindsight, uh, we did not need that tough a lockdown, more so in the hinterland. Mm
0: -hmm. So,
1: while it was probably good to cut down the international travel, probably it was good to lock down big cities, uh, maybe shutting down the whole country. But again, in hindsight,
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: was a very aggressive uh, position that the government took. All in our good interest, in in the interest of people, uh, in our own interest. But it was uh, it has had challenging repercussions. So. Some of these countries like Indonesia and others did not actually take that kind of a lockdown or the lockdowns were largely restricted to large cities. Africa was far more open uh, and continued with a slightly low but open economy. Uh, And therefore, the impact there on the economy is much, much, much lower compared to the kind of impact we saw in India.
0: True. Uh, now, coming to the fact that you know this entire year has been a washout year, like we've always called this like a washout year. What is the plan going forward for you in the coming year in 2021? And are you looking at from your uh, fund also? Would are there uh, have you done any investments this year or exits, or what are the plans for next year?
1: Yeah, interestingly, despite the very, very massive lockdown and the challenges, etc. of COVID, uh, we made our uh, first investment this year in uh, March uh, in Argos, uh, so which was quite good. Uh, we made our second investment in NEPRA and also made an exit out of NEPRA uh, this year. Uh, and we are actually looking to make probably the largest number of exits in this financial year, which is still March. Uh, so amazingly, uh, which is very contrary <laughs> in some sense uh, that despite all the challenges, we actually did not do as badly as we thought we will do. Uh, from that perspective, the year is not a washout. Uh, I think uh, there is a pent up demand from uh, in all few walks of life. So there is a pent up demand from investors to invest as well. And if you have good companies with good promoters, uh, even though they have taken the hit, uh, Every investor across the globe is looking for a good, good company in a large economy and therefore uh, India features quite well. there, despite the contraction, despite the technical recession that we are seeing. Uh, and so uh, we believe uh, what is the plan for the future? Our, in 2019, we had set our 10-year plan rolling for the next decade. And uh, I have three predictions to make. Uh, I believe uh, we have been good at making some predictions uh, in the past. For example, we made the, we were not only, uh, if you look at India and a mega trend in India, uh, we were actually a good predictor that microfinance will be a local, localized mega trend in India. The fact that something which was 100 crore in assets is now 3 lakh crore uh, tells you that it was a reasonably strong local mega trend. Uh, And we are also party to a global mega trend, which emerged over the last two decades in terms of impact investing. I want to stick my neck out and talk about two mega trends that I see one global and one largely local, uh, disruption. So a global mega trend, a local trend, a local mega trend, which is India focused. And the third uh, is a disruption. Uh, My first prediction is that uh, climate as a challenge has been around for long. But the solutioning to the challenge of climate from climate tech, climate innovation, et cetera, will be invested to challenge the disruptions that climate has brought in our lives uh, than ever before in next 10 years. And it will not come from government, it will come largely from the private sector. Uh, In my view, therefore, there will be a large number of new innovations, new disruptions, new companies, new scale uh, that will be seen and massive amount of capital being infused uh, in dealing with the issues related to climate change, uh, environment, uh, pollution, and many other things. And you will see a very different way the world responds. So, for example, ESG, which is Environment, uh, Social and Governance, would actually become a key factor in investing, but within which climate would actually be the global megatrend. Now, this does not sound like a uh, is the most astonishing prediction because climate change has been, uh, as a problem, has been on the top of everybody's mind. But I think from the solutioning side, the decade next decade will be a global mega trade. So that's my first prediction. My second prediction is, uh, over the last 10 years, we have made seven investments in agri-techs. And I believe India's next decade will see an agricultural technology entrepreneurial revolution. Uh, early signs are visible. uh, But I am actually not speaking by one or two investments. I'm going by how the ecosystem, uh, integration of technology, a very large sector, disruption, all this is coming together. But most importantly, disruptions take place when talented people start using technology to disrupt a traditional but very large sector. Mm -hmm. And agriculture meets all the three criteria as on today. Uh, so my belief is India will see a significant number of unicorn coming from agriculture, uh, agri-tech, uh, and new kinds of ideas within agriculture over the next decade. That's my second prediction. The disruption that I actually talk about, and I think in all the predictions that I'm making, COVID is we have playing a fairly important role. Uh, the third disruption I see is the massive participation of women. Uh, so a gender-led change in future of work disruption. Because of COVID, suddenly we are all used to people operating from wherever they are. And that would mean talented women who, because of uh, location, geography, etc., could not participate uh, into the mainstream, would now be looking to participate uh, in, in the potential uh, future. Uh, imagine suddenly an influx of a very, very large number of folks, especially from, the, uh, from uh, women uh, into the workforce. Uh, it will completely disturb or disrupt the way we work, the kind of workforce that you will have, and the power equations across the globe. And COVID is one of the leverage factors here because it has changed the way we perceive remote working. Uh, So gig economy and many other things would see massive disruption. So climate as a global trend, Agritech as the local India mega trend, and then disruption in terms of uh, future of work.
0: True, Uh, but in this year, in 2020, have you done uh, investments from your your fund this year and which were your investments? And if you could just give a color on if uh, there are exits that you're looking at from your existing portfolio?
1: The global and local trends I actually did. So, Ergos was actually an investment in an agri-tech company that kind of digitizes grains. So it's a grain bank operating in Bihar. Oh. Uh, we believe there's a potential to become a unicorn, uh, can scale up big time and become a unicorn. Uh, and then we made an exit, an investment in NEPRA, which is a waste management solutioning company, uh, which uh, has grown quite significantly, most likely also a potential unicorn, and an IPO candidate uh, in the waste management space. Uh, we invested in this company when it was a concept and uh, we invested again uh, in this company in this round uh, when we believe it is set towards, heading towards, so it's already managing around thousand tons of waste per day, uh, and we expect it to actually reach 5,000 tons over the next four or five years, and also list, and most likely become a unicorn before it becomes, uh, before it lists itself. So, so these are the two investments we made from our, uh, I think you had asked me what is our plan for the next 10 years, mm-hmm. uh, we manage, uh, current assets of 1.1 billion, we think we will be 5 billion by 2025, and 12 billion of dollar assets under management by 2030. Uh, And we hope to become one of the largest impact platforms uh, by 2030.
0: True. Uh, In your uh, share, I mean, uh, when you did your fundraise in 2018, uh, was there a change in your shareholding uh, in the company? I mean, who are your larger investors at this point in time?
1: So at this point of time, uh, Avishkar Group has actually uh, four investors. Uh, Shell Foundation, that's the foundation of Shell, the energy company. Uh, Triodos Bank, Triodos Investments. uh, They are actually a European bank. Uh, Our third investor is Nuveen, uh, which manages close to a trillion dollars in assets. Uh, It's a very large American pension fund asset management company. Uh, Some of you might know TIT, Teachers Insurance American Annuity, which is actually the parent of Nuveen. So it manages all TIA's assets. And then we have our last investor was FMO, which is a Dutch development bank. Collectively, all of them own around 49%. We uh, promoters own 51%.
0: Okay. And, you know, there has been this clutch of, I mean, this has been a pattern where we have been seeing that a clutch of these other government pension pension funds or other government funds have been deploying a lot of capital in India, and especially in impact space. Uh, Are you seeing more capital coming from these kind of uh, LPs uh, while you're trying to raise capital? Or has there been a change in your, uh, you know, investor base also, the kind of people that you're raising capital from?
1: Yeah, so I think uh, what is and this is where actually your mention of TPG rise or KKR impact or any of the big global impact funds. I think there are three four things taking place in the world of money. Uh, Money works on mandates. So first you need to identify yourself as a classification. So impact investing was not a classification for a very long period of time. Uh, In 2020 impact investing is a significant classification in the world of money and that actually means money is now mandated and the world has 300 trillion dollars of capital so money now has a mandate to invest in impact investing now it could be half a percent 1% 2% but that's a very large amount of money and impact investing right now has roughly around three quarter of a billion uh, three quarter of a trillion so 750 billion of assets under management i think this number is going to significantly increase over the next 10 day, 10 years And as this number is increasing, new participants are coming. Similarly, Avishkar's ability to attract uh, money from some of these people also goes up. Uh, What is happening is when traditional investors who have been investing in large global asset managers like TPG, KKR, or many other, Bain and others, uh, when they actually come up with the classification of impact investing, generally capital will go to similar aggregators that they have known for long. So that's why TPG and KKR and others have been raising very large funds because uh, they have a long relationship with these investors. They have a very strong comfort. Uh, and uh, they, they, their belief is they can learn impact faster because they know investing. Uh, funds like Avishkar, which are actually specialized in impact investing and are emerging from the ground, do not, uh, are not known to these investors. Uh, and also these investors understanding of the idea of impact investing is limited. So what we have to do as Avishkar to change the narrative is go and teach or go and talk a lot about what Avishkar does and why is it impact investing and uh, therefore start attracting capital from them, which is what we have done in last 36 months. And uh, we are therefore seeing a fairly significant change in the limited partners uh, uh, profile as also investor profile for Avishkar. Uh, We are seeing uh, private funds of funds. We are seeing, uh, of course, pension funds, uh, mutual funds, uh, insurance companies massively participating. Uh, But I think the most dominant change that I have personally seen that i had never noticed in last 20 years has actually been a significant participation of Indian funds, uh, uh, Indian companies, and Indian high net worth individuals into impact funds
0: true and what are the kind of returns that they are seeking when it is the domestic investor who are trying to line up capital
1: it's 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 a very interesting question uh, in the world of finance in the world of venture slash impact slash private equity investing uh, nothing is guaranteed to our investor in terms of returns so when you participate let's say if you decide to invest in us you will ask us what is the indicative returns we may generate and we will always give you a range Uh, but there is no guarantee that we will be in those range so there is an inherently higher risk associated because what you are doing is you are giving money to create a blind pool what does a blind pool mean that when you are giving money you do not know where this money will be invested and you're also giving me complete carte blanche to manage that right which means the underlying assets will be created by us now uh, In that sense, we do not give any guarantees for return. In general, every investor, whether impact or not, is looking at a 20% return. uh, Some in dollars, some in rupees. The question is not what they are seeking, question is what do we deliver? (laughs) And I think uh, that remains quite an uncertain number.
0: Okay. Cool. not a problem and thank you so much Beneath for your time today we took enough of your time today but uh, all the best for your fundraise in the coming year and hope you have a great year